0: What the Lord would say to you today, and what, what could I bring to you, particularly if, if there's the individuals that are here, and and you make this your annual uh, uh, Exodus to church somewhere on Easter. Uh, actually, you're a two times a year person, Easter and Christmas, right? We're glad you're here, if that's you. But it's important that you would understand that all all the things that have been presented today, uh, the message of the love of Jesus in in so many different ways, and there's so many other ways that that could be presented. But it's important for you to understand that he loves you. He's not even condemning you because you only go to church once a year. Neither am I. But I'd like to see you here more. You actually need to be here among these wonderful people. There's two passages of Scripture that I want to bring to you. One's in chapter Luke, uh, in the book of Luke, chapter 7. Chapter Luke. The book of Luke, chapter 7. And the other one's in, in the book of Mark, chapter 10. And uh, Laura and I were talking last week as, I was, as I've just been kind of rehearsing in my heart what the Lord would say to you. And, and she mentioned these two individuals from Scripture to me, and it just lit me up. And I thought, no, this is this is what the Lord is saying today. First of all, actually, r- the song that Rachel sang, I think, this is saying, Luke chapter seven. If you if you look in the in the in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all tell the story of the life of Jesus in, from various perspectives. And when you see a particular event that's mentioned two or three times, you ought to go read it in in all the places that it's mentioned to get a fuller picture of that event. This is just uh, one such event. Matthew chapter 26, Mark chapter 14, and we're going to take Luke chapter 7. Scripture doesn't say who this lady is. It doesn't give a name. Historians think that probably her name was Mary because we know that Mary was a sinful woman before she met Jesus. And and some people think that that's who this was. I, I would tend to agree, but I'm not going to stake my life on it. It just makes sense. Mary was a woman who loved Jesus because he had so impacted her life. And so, but, but Scripture just refers to this lady as a sinful woman. Luke chapter 7, verse 36 I'm going to read the whole story. When one of the Pharisees asked him to come and eat with them, he went into the Pharisee's house and he sat down to eat. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner. How many of y'all would like to go down in history as a person in the city who was a sinner? Now you know why they didn't write her name. But I think we can all identify with this. Woman in the city who was a sinner, when, when she knew that Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil, and she stood at his feet behind him weeping, and she began to wash his feet with her tears and wipe them with the hair of her head. And she kissed his feet and anointed him with the fragrant oil. If you look in the other two passages There's one passage that says she anointed his head. So as you put those stories together, and you realize that that what actually happened is she poured that stuff all over him. She just anointed his body with this fragrant oil from the alabaster box. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw, he spoke of himself saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would know what kind of woman she is who's touching him for she's a sinner. He said, there's not a rabbi in town that would give this woman ten minutes. What is he doing? That's what he said. Are you following that? There's not a holy man around here that would give her ten minutes. What is he doing? How how many of y'all have ever felt a little bit disenfranchised from the experience that you were in? A little disconnected? Maybe a little unwelcome? Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to say to you. So he said, teacher, say it. He said, there's a creditor who had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other uh, owed only 50. And uh, And when they had nothing... To repay, he freely forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him more? Simon answered and said, I suppose the one who was forgiven much. And he said, you've rightly judged. And he turned to the woman, said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house and you didn't give me water for my feet. She's washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. You didn't. Give me an embrace or a kiss, but this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time she came in. You didn't anoint my head with oil, but she's anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore, I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she has loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. So then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. And those who sat at the table with him began to say to themselves, who is this that he even forgives sins? He said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Now it's easy to have compassion on someone who has done everything wrong and now they're trying to make things right. Make sense? There's another individual in Scripture, and I I, want to say character uh, in that we're looking at a historical figure, but but really, I don't want you to forget that these are real people. You might see yourself in, in this other individual. Again, the Scripture doesn't say his name. He's only referred to as the rich young ruler. Mark chapter 10 and verse 17 This young man was a man who was born to privilege, education. In comparison to that other lady, probably a little bit of a silver spoon in his mouth. Jesus counseled the rich young ruler uh, as he was going out on the road. This young man came running in and out before him and said to him, Good teacher, what do I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why are you calling me good? No one is good, but one, and that is God. You know the commandments. Don't commit adultery. Don't murder. Don't steal. Don't bear false witness. Don't defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he answered him, and he said, Teacher, all these things I have done, from my youth, and listen to what the scripture says: Jesus looked at him and loved him. before we 're too hard on this guy let 's realize Jesus looked at him and loved him. Jesus saw his potential. Jesus saw something in him of great value. Jesus looked at him and loved him, and then Jesus said to him, one thing you lack. Go your way, sell whatever you have, and give it to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come and take up your cross and follow me. The Bible said that he was sad at this word. Anybody ever received a prophetic word, sad? Yeah, that's that's interesting. He was sad at this word. He went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Jesus looked around at his disciples and he said, how hard it is for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were astonished at his words, but Jesus again said to them, how hard is it for those who trust in riches? See the distinction? It's not just having, it's trusting in. How hard is it for those who trust in riches to enter the kingdom of God? It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of the needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Of God, And we understand that the needle's eye was a gate in the city that at the night when the city was all locked up and a merchant would come along, if he wanted to get into the city where it was safe, he had to unload his camels of all their goods, hand carry them through the gate, and let his camel get down on his knees and crawl through the gate so that the enemy couldn't come in. The main gate was not going to be open for him. He was letting So if he's going to get in, it was going to be work. He had to unload his possessions to get in. He had to lay down his stuff to get in. It's exactly what Jesus said to the young man. You've done a lot of things right, but you've got to lay down the stuff you're trusting in to get in. So they were astonished at what Jesus said and they began to say they they began to say among themselves how, who who could possibly get in? This is next to impossible. But Jesus looked at them and said with men it's impossible but with God all things are possible. See the scripture says whosoever will may come. So we've got this, this woman who is For all intents and purposes, somewhat the off scouring of society, the off scouring of the culture, someone who uh, who in 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 their culture, they say are coming down the street, they're gonna cross the street so that no one thinks they're having a conversation. Maybe maybe you identify with that lady. And then we have this, this young man who's highly respected. In the culture. It was born to privilege and education. And, and here he is, this most respected individual. He's asking the same question that lady was asking. How do I get in? She was asking that same question. I want to know that I can get in. so here we have these two individuals they are, they are diametrically opposed they are nothing alike she's rejected he's accepted he didn't do anything to be accepted he just happened to be born right some of y'all are sitting here and, and some, some of you were born to fantastic circumstances some of you were born to terrible ones now I just submit to you it's not how you started it's more how you finish. But I want you to make the contrast in your mind between these two individuals and, and the lives that they were living and, and the things that, that uh, were happening and, and put yourself a little bit in their place and, and realize they both came to the same cross and the same opportunity. They both came to the same moment. It's a moment that we all come to. She was a sinner. He was a follower, a keeper of the precepts of God. She was broken, and rejected. He was self-confident. He had not, he had not known the feeling of rejection that she had known. He had never known what it was like to have to do something that was disrespectful so that he could eat or have clothing. In fact, according to Scripture, and the way that we see this guy historically, he had never worried one moment for what he would eat or what he would wear. That thought had probably never crossed his mind. She was disrespected, misunderstood, Even though life had put her in situations where she had no options. She was disrespected for the decisions that she had made. When her back was against the wall. And he was respected simply for where he was born and how he was raised. And clearly how he had conducted himself. He had conducted himself respectfully. Respectively, he, had, he was confident when, when Jesus said, don't sin. And he said, I, I've been doing that stuff my whole life. It's interesting to me when we look at the contrast between these two individuals that we all still have to come to the same place. Because as she was unworthy, so he also needed Jesus. And he knew that because he knew that he had kept the law and that he had been a follower of the precepts of God, but yet there was this gnawing inside that said, what do I do to really get in? He understood it wasn't enough. And she understood that she couldn't be enough. When Jesus spoke with her, she was forgiven much. When when Jesus spoke with that rich young ruler, he didn't see the need to be forgiven. You follow that? I've already done all that. She willingly came. When she broke open that alabaster box, the whole discussion there, when you read those passages of Scripture, that there, there, was this whole discussion about that was of great value and that should have been sold and given to the poor. She has wasted that. When you get into that passage, one of the other things that Jesus said to them was, she has anointed me and prepared me for my burial. What she was doing was prophetic. That undeserving sinner was prophesying. Jesus would give his life to make us all worthy. She was prophesying. couple of things in this contrast that I want you to really get hold of. That alabaster box was of great value, possibly worth more than in, in those days, maybe even more than that. The alabaster box of fragrance was typically included in a woman's dowry and was given uh, as part of her dowry when she was going to be married. Great, great value. Probably in her circumstances, it was the most valuable thing she had. If not, possibly all she had. Probably would have equated to her life savings. And she broke that open and anointed Jesus with it. He didn't ask her to give everything. He just came and gave everything. And yet here in the life of this rich young ruler, you're only lacking one thing. She knew that she could have sold that and lived off of it, possibly with some investing, she could have lived off of it for an extended period of time. And then when Jesus says to him, you, you, you lack this. This one thing you lack. You give away everything that you have. Give it to the poor. Consider it nothing. Quit trusting in that. Take up your cross and follow me. And he went away sad. It's kind of like the guys who who write that type check every week uh, um, when they're when they're. Earning uh, two or three thousand dollars a month, and then when God blesses them, they start earning 10 or 12, those zeros too many on that check. They can't write that check anymore. Oh, I, I can give when it really doesn't cost me a whole lot. No, he's come and give everything. Get, get rid of it all, everything that you're trusting in, everything that you're leaning on, and trust me. what I know about, this is what I know about following Jesus. You are not going to give everything and not have a reciprocation from the heart of God that is beyond your wildest dreams. He will never owe you. He will never owe you. Just in natural terms, that young man was offered the investment of a lifetime. And he turned it down. Went away sad. Too great a cost. Wait a minute, wait a minute. His question was, what do I do to inherit eternal life? The response was too great. Of a cost? Are you serious? What What do I need to do to have eternal life? Oh, that the price is too high. Do you know what? It's all. everything to do with the attitude and the frame of mind of these two individuals. That lady came and gave everything she had, put herself in a position to be condemned by the people who were watching her because clearly they judged her and condemned her for her actions, if you read those stories in Scripture. They were put off by her. I've often... About that uh, story with that lady, because the Bible says that she was a, a you know we, we read she was a sinner there in the city she was often uh, she was apparently welcomed into that house <laughs> How exactly did that happen but nevertheless the public you ever had anybody treat you one way when people are around and another way when they're not? See, so I think we can, we can all identify with these folks a little bit. And when it comes down to it, regardless of whether, whether you were born in, this, in a privileged situation where everything was right and every opportunity was put in front of you, or whether you were born in a situation that put your back against the wall and made you have to make decisions, and, 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 and situations arose where that culture around people around you you. The question is still the same. What do I need to do to have eternal life? How do I get in a relationship with God that produces something of value for my eternity? Well, there's one other con- one other comparison I want you to make in the life of this young man the Bible says Jesus loved him he was clearly a valuable individual Jesus saw him and he saw this great show in him He saw this great deposit from God in him and thought, what what an amazing young man this is. Jesus loved him. But then, this woman, the Bible says, when they begin to think negative thoughts about her and begin to condemn her actions, Jesus said, what she has done will be remembered forever. Every time she's ever talked about, she's not talked about just because she was a sinful woman, she's because she gave everything she had and anointed the feet of Jesus and humbled herself in his presence. She's remembered for her value. You're sitting here, there's not an individual in this room that when God looks at you, that he does not see your value. He looks at you. He sees your potential. He sees the deposit of God that is in you. He sees that that w- if you would submit yourself to him and no longer trust in, in your in in your life and in in natural things and and you would begin to put your trust in him and you would begin to pursue him and have a relationship with him that your potential is beyond your wildest imagination. I submit to you that he saw in her great potential. He saw a great deposit. God in her. And he was so bold as to say, your faith, your faith, because of your humble approach to me, your sins are forgiven. God holds to your charge. Well, I want to tell you today, God holds nothing to your charge. He holds nothing to your charge. Those things that you've, those poor choices that you've made that you regret, that you hope nobody talk talk about. Those things that have made you the discussion on the phone line. Your mama texts your grandma and said, "I can't believe what he did this time." All those things that you... God is not holding any of that against you. I'll give you a couple more scriptures. Romans 3 and 23 says, For all have sinned, come short of the glory of God. All. Anybody know what all means? All. All means all. Even that rich young ruler... And that woman with a sorrowful reputation, all, has sinned and come short of the glory of God. And John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever, I love that word, whosoever. It's a great word. Whosoever. Not perish would have lasting life. But don't stop there. Read the next verse. It says, God didn't send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him was saved. He didn't come to condemn you. He didn't, Jesus did not come to pick on you. Jesus did not come to pick on you. Now sometimes when the Holy Spirit gets a messing around in your life, you feel a little bit of picked on. It's was just encouraging you to move into a deeper relationship with God, not to pick on you. And then Revelation twenty-two seventeen 17 says, Whosoever will may come. It always amazes me that some folks will and some folks won't. But whosoever will may come. So the question today f- for all of you is, Will you? Will you? Will you come? Now, that that means different things to different people in in terms of some some of y'all. I believe there's people here who you don't have a right relationship with Jesus. You need to have a right relationship with Jesus. And Stuart's already told you that he'll be up here and the other prayer teams will be up here at the end of the service. And if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, why don't you make that right today? Don't leave here. You don't have promise for tomorrow. You don't have promise of this afternoon. And one of the things that churches in our culture have forgotten about in this is hell. The real place. It was prepared for... Angels. His rebellious ones. And you say, oh, God would never send me there. No, you send yourself there. You make that decision. That's up to you. I set before you life and death. That's a no-brainer, huh? Who so fail? Why don't you? But then there's those of us who are believers, and 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 then this struggle becomes in answer to another verse in scripture that says, "Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone will open the door." I'll come in and I'll I'll commune with him. And there are some people under the sound of my voice, you have received salvation and you've been walking in the kingdom for a very long time, but you're not in communion. You've forgotten what that's like. Maybe never pursued him to the point that he's come in to commune with you. There is a constant cry from the heart of God for an intimate, close relationship with every believer. Every believer. I was talking to a man this week, and, well, a couple weeks back, he was doing some work here at the church, and he said, this is my contribution to the kingdom. I I help people. Maintenance stuff. He says I don't have... That what other people call a close intimate relationship with Jesus. Oh, did I want to? Yeah. But he says, I I take my skills and my gifts and my abilities and I help people. He Talk to me about a lady who needed repairs on her house and he went and did that and some other things that he did. And I said, Those are all fine and wonderful. But you're not absent to particular intimate relationship with Jesus. I don't care who you are. He's calling you. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone, there another whosoever will, open the door. I will come in. You need to look at some of the absolute statements. He didn't say I might come in. Open the door. Maybe I'll come hang out with you. I will come in, and I will come in with you and you with me. You have an invitation today to a deeper relationship with Jesus. Wherever you are on that spectrum, the message is the same. Wherever you are in your relationship with Jesus, the question is the same and the answer is the same. Will you? And then you get to say "Or name. Yes or no? Will you? Will you let him in? Will you invite him to an intimate relationship with you? Will you commune with him? Will you receive him? him at the relationship level not the religious one we we're driving down the road today and closing on the way to church we we're driving down the my first close i heard you chuckle we we're driving down the road and there was a gentleman next to us in his car and he had a big old cross on hanging from his mirror crucifix jesus still on the cross I, I just let you know he's not there anymore but nevertheless. So the boys and I had a discussion about how that some people feel that if they put that cross around their neck or they carry that crucifix, that it brings blessing into their life. And I'm sorry that that's just an idol. It is a thing that was fashioned by the hands of men. I can pour oil on it all day and pray all over it. It ain't going to bless a thing. Until you receive the risen Lord. And realize that He's calling out to you for a relationship now. Oh, don't wait until we step into eternity to have a close relationship with Jesus. He intended for you to have it with Him now. He's not on the cross, He's not in the tomb. He's seated at the right hand of God and He's deposited His Spirit in you so that He could have an intimate relationship with you.